Hello and um, welcome back. We uh, we are glad to be back after a long uh, summer hiatus. Um, it's Jamie and Ilias uh, here today, uh, and today we're going to discuss um, the Framingham PD and some cases that um, Ilias has found and has been, and has worked on or has researched on the Framingham PD. I know we did something on um, Framingham for a murder that they had committed and also, you know, a, a savage beating that they had done uh, in town, the Framingham PD. And uh, Ilias, why don't you take us through um, what you found and, and what you want to talk about uh, in this episode? Sure. So the, the, the story for me is, is a little bit personal, having worked on a case involving uh, uh, Framingham police. Um, and I'm going to uh, have to qualify pr pretty much nearly everything I say with, you know, events that occurred are always alleged to have occurred, right? Um, and, and I'll have to point out that um, if there's a, a, a question of did someone do something, uh, there have been a number of lawsuits, and almost all of those lawsuits have ended favorably uh, for the Framingham police, and almost every criminal prosecution of an officer uh, has ended favorably. For the Framingham Police. So, um, but but my personal uh, journey started on a case where I the facts were just so surprising to me that that a that they happen and b that the legal system in any way condones this. Um, and and people will deny that they're that it, the system condones it and point to prosecutions and civil trials as proof that oh you know that person had to go to court. But it's one thing to go to court worried that you might lose, and it's another thing to go to court knowing you will win. And if you know you're going to win, your behavior will not be deterred. And I think Framingham is a poster child for uh, a problem uh, uh, that exists in this country and a problem that we've covered on this podcast, which is how do you hold law enforcement accountable? Uh, right. And, and uh, 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 I think the way to say it is the police are really good at, at finding the good guys and the bad guys when it comes to crime. And they're very good at, at, at finding the good guys and the bad guys when it comes to telling the truth. They suddenly become terrible at, at distinguishing the good guys from the bad guys when crimes are committed by one of their own uh, or when the lies are being told by one of their own. Um, and so uh, the, I, I was trying to figure out in Framingham if there's a word to describe how the, the, the culture of the police in Framingham. And there is a word. It's, it comes from the name of a, of a Kurosawa movie, uh, I think from the 50s. It's called the Ra uh, Rashomon. And there's a, now there's something called the Rashomon effect, which is when an event happens and uh, there are uh, as many versions of the event, if not more, than there are people who witness the event. And, and every version conflicts with a different version. And in the end, you have no idea what happened. And that's basically the problem that has bedeviled uh, uh, many uh, police departments, but particularly Framingham. Right. Where anytime a police officer tries to blow the whistle, and say, hey, my partner or my buddy or some officer or some detective did something wrong, then the, immediately the whistleblower is accused of being a liar. And then the whistleblower is forced to say, well, no, the other guys are the liar. And at the end, it's hopeless. The situation is hopeless. Yeah. 
and we have this, by the way, unfolding in real time with, at Mar-a-Lago, where the FBI raids the former president's house uh, and pulls away some dozens of boxes of documents that are classified, top secret, or uh, confidential. And the immediate retort is, oh, those that, that evidence was planted. <laughs> so minutes before the officers delivered the search warrant, a U-Haul must have backed up and unloaded the boxes. And then they took the boxes into Mar-a-Lago, took them back out, put them back in the U-Haul, and then the U-Haul drove away. That's well, what put happened. them in the safe first, right? They knew the right. combo, threw right. them in the safe. So so this is the, the Rashomon effect is what happens in Framingham. And there are a number of lawsuits. And you read these lawsuits and the allegations and the denials. And, and again, I live this with respect to my case, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, and what you realize is that we can't hold police accountable. Right. That's what- Well, they're that, the standard bearers of truth, right? Right. Like, we, there, there's no-, there's no police force that lives above the police. Right. And we, we, we come up with these halfway measures. So for example, if the Framingham police do something questionable, maybe we'll have it investigated by another department. I mean, it, you're going to have people who aren't vested in that community investigating, or we'll right. say, oh, we'll have the state police investigate. Well, guess who works hand in glove together? Every town in the state has good relations with or works closely with or wants to be on good terms with the state police. So that's hopeless too. And we know from the Hinton lab and, and, and the Amherst lab that, that the, the state police aren't gonna come in there and turn everything upside down. No. Right? This isn't like you know when they shut down a, a, a Ponzi scheme or some criminal enterprise and everybody is walked off in handcuffs. It doesn't work that way. There's interviews. Uh, there's union delegates present. Um, the police departments have rules about how long they have to wait before they can ask a police officer who's accused of a crime questions. And conveniently, it's long enough that all the other witnesses have been interviewed. And so now that uh, um, uh, 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 officer who may be accused of a crime, which might be, by the way, killing somebody, now knows what everyone else is going to say and can tailor uh, their version. Which is imagine that. Imagine that like OJ got to just sort of sit there and wait until everything, everybody else uh, spoke before he do what what he was gonna say, right? No, he right. Was, first thing he did, he did what any normal person does is he panicked and he got in a Ford Bronco and drove towards the border. So um, but the but we, we have inverted the rules when it comes to police. So I'm gonna stop ranting and maybe talk a little bit about the specifics. So the case I worked on began or started well, well hold on Be before you go i yeah. so so just I, I have read some of the materials and sure um to me something that just kept coming up in my mind was like how much did this cost how much does it cost when you when they take someone to court when they take their co-workers to court right and file lawsuits and drag this stuff out for years and lie about each other like not only are they muddying the waters, as you say, as to like what is believable and what is true, but also that it's a huge freaking expense to send to take these people to court and like they get paid to go and like the the everyone gets paid that's in court. It costs a 
it, it just costs a ton of money to investigate this stuff and spend all this time doing this stuff. So that like when people talk about um, defunding the police, right? Stuff like this is never gets discussed, but but suing each other, like police officers suing each other endlessly, it, there, there needs to be a bottle, like a cork put in that bottle because it just, some way it, it just costs so much money. And like you said, it, it muddies the waters, but that that's my, that was just a partial takeaway outside of the misconduct and what you're saying. Like that to me yeah. is well, an ancillary it, thing. It, it does, it does cost money. Um, but I think, I think the way law enforcement is viewed in this country is it's sort of like, you know, when you have to pay a toll on the highway, right? It's the cost of doing business. Right. And many towns and cities have their own in-house counsel who already are on salary. And then they have, um, uh, 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 there's a select number of firms that do uh, municipal work that get, uh, and some of them get uh, large bills paid, uh, but it, it, this isn't the most expensive type of litigation to defend, although it can be costly. But the police officer accusing the city or town uh, or his brethren of misconduct is on his own. And they go and get the best lawyer that they can afford. And but the reality is that that's that's still that deck is not, um, uh, uh, you know, e uh, fair. Um, right. And it, it, it is still stacked. So the cost is certainly part of it. Uh, the other thing is that the system is slow. And is not it is not well designed to get to the bottom of things. And as I said, you know, you talk to three different officers who witness an event, you might get three different versions. Well, in in the normal world, if you're caught lying, um, well, first of all, you you probably I haven't looked at data on this, but I would be willing to guess that if someone's listening and ask the question, if I got caught by my employer lying, what would happen to me? <laughs> Right. I think most of us would assume we get fired. Right? You get fired. Of course. I'm, well, it depends on what you're lying about, but well, but... okay. Well, let's say that you work as a cashier and you're supposed to have at the end of the day $122 in your till. Right. You have $80 in your till. Well, maybe once that you get away with it, maybe twice you get away with it. But that if that happens every day, the lie in 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 this case is you underreporting the amount of money that you're supposed to have. Right. And you're going to get fired because they assume you're stealing it. And I think most people in instinctively know this, right? If you say, uh, uh, I, I didn't come into work yesterday because I had, you know, uh, I lost a grandparent and the, the, your employer figures out that, well, that's the 17th grandparent that you claim you've lost. Um, you know, you're lying, or we saw you, someone saw you at the beach. I mean, you know, you're going to get fired. And yet, amazingly for the police, it doesn't work that way. Right. Worst case, a letter goes out to your local prosecutor's office that says that officer so-and-so has been found to be untruthful. And in the case of Framingham, we'll get to this, but in the, in the case of Framingham, the detective who was found was well, his, his, certainly his behavioral behavior was suspect. And regardless of whether he lied or not um, to protect himself, uh, he wasn't fired. In fact, he was just, just quote, reassigned to work on other cases where they wouldn't need his testimony 
because they couldn't use his testimony because they'd have to send that letter out to defense attorneys. Right. So you have a very bizarre situation where it's sort of consequence free. And, and I fault even judges because I've read cases where a police officer is caught in a lie or caught committing some act of misconduct or conduct unbecoming. And the judge never drops the hammer the way they do on other people. And I, you know, I've represented clients, I know many lawyers have represented clients who a judge drops the hammer on and you know what that's like. And it's, 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 it's devastating, but that doesn't happen to police officers. Right. And, 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 and I will say too, that I fault prosecutors and we'll get to that in this case. But when a prosecutor catches wind of a police officer lying, I think the prosecutor has a duty to immediately rectify that situation and immediately try to sideline that police officer. For um, sure. And, 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 and probably prosecute if it's perjury, uh, prosecute. Right. I, I Not def know, deflect, you know, have... defend and make excuses. Yeah. And... So, so let me start with this is, this is, two, we're going to go to April, 2010. Okay. And, and. Uh, at this point, you know, this is before the Yuri Stamp shooting, um, and this is before a lot of the the, the events that uh, showed up in in, re in the recent um, uh, in recent history about Framingham. So this is sort of to me, this is like you know one A.D. Right. So this is <laughs> April two thousand and ten, uh, and you have um, an incident that takes place right near the. Mass Pike in Framingham at a storage facility that apparently is a live-in facility, meaning the man and the woman who manned that facility also live there. And around dinner time, uh, unmarked SUV shows up. Two people, two men get out of the car and they start urinating in plain view of the kitchen. And the woman- As one does. Yeah, and the woman comes out and confronts the men horrified and claims that one of them turned around and she could see basically everything and 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 when she complains the one of the officers said, oh, excuse me I, i'm getting ahead of myself one of the men says well don't look <laughs> and she her husband hears the commotion comes over and uh and to to confront these two men who now are getting back into the suv and then the, then the, the events that happen next this is sort of rashomon even though they're caught on video, it's inconclusive. And depending on what you want to see or don't want to see, um, you, you're gonna you're gonna get the outcome that you desire. Uh, and I've seen the video, and and it looked like one of the men extends his arm, and he has something in his hand. Can't tell what it is because of the video quality. Points at at the the husband, and who retreats, and then the SUV drives away, and that's the end of the incident. Well, the, 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 the couple call the police and a police officer comes into the storage facility. And now they're inside, which is also covered by a security camera. And they say, did you get the license plate? The officer says, did you get the license plate of this car? And the, the woman says, yes. And she writes it down on a piece of paper and puts it on the counter. And the officer who's inside and it's dinner time uh, and it's April, so it's probably dark or dusk. But he's wearing sunglasses because that's how you really convey authority, right? Of course. So he's wearing sunglasses and he lifts up the sunglasses <laughs> and sees the license plate. And his eyes could not have been bigger. Okay. Yeah. They almost fall out of his skull. And he takes the piece of paper, he looks at it, puts it down, picks it up, looks at, puts it down, 
he's freaking out because he knows exactly what this vehicle is. Um, now, of course, if you run the vehicle plate, it'll come back as no such plate exists, which is a, a fancy way in Massachusetts of saying it's an unmarked police car. And cutting to the chase, it turns out that these were two Framingham narcotics officers. And what had they been doing that day? Well, apparently there was an award ceremony earlier that day at the federal courthouse in Boston. And where, uh, this is, uh, I didn't know this, but apparently the government, they give themselves awards. So they did like best drug bust uh, 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 in, involving, you know, uh, uh, men with shaved heads or something. I have no idea. Best and, adapted drug bust. And so it was this like, collaborative effort involving the DEA and Framingham PD and perhaps others. And, and, and so they gave themselves an award and then they mingled in the, uh, 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 I don't know, somewhere in the building, maybe in the lobby. And then a bunch of people went over. Of course, you ask anyone, did you go over? And they're like, no, I didn't go over. But a bunch of people went over to Atlantic Beer Garden. And as the name implies, it's a bar. And how long are they there? Nobody knows, but they couldn't have been there more than five minutes. And did anyone drink alcohol? Uh, I, maybe, but no more than one drink, right? <laughs> um, even though there's pretty good evidence that, that in the case of these two Framingham officers, they were there for a, a, a while. And, and uh, they're getting phone calls on their cell phones that are going straight to voicemail. We all have been there, right? I'm not faulting them, right? Once in a while, we all want to drop off the grid and tie one on, right? The problem is they have a dinner at 6.30 in Framingham for the New England Narcotics Officers uh, 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 Association. And if anyone uh, uh, remembers, that's the same association that in the, there was a, uh, they had an event on the Cape uh, and um, uh, it, uh, in, uh, this was actually the following year where a DJ, uh, a Dwayne Alves, um, came to the aid of a woman who was being harassed and he got beaten big time. And it turns out that he was beaten by police officers. And that was a, the meeting of the uh, New England Narcotics Officers Association. I might be missing the word enforcement. There's, a, there's a, the word enforcement uh, maybe it's Narcotic Enforcement Officer Association. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's the same organization. And a, a character who we'll get to later was at some point the president of that association, also from Framingham. And he, so they're hosting a meeting at the Han Dynasty restaurant in, in Framingham. R.I.P. And, 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 and by the way, there was alcohol consumed also at Han Dynasty. I know because I got the, the, the bar tab. Or the rest scorpion bowls? Were they were they doing scorpion bowls? Uh, I don't remember, but I think there there were a lot of things like Miller Lights and stuff like that. Uh, but what's interesting is that they said that the the uh, the association said that oh we think only the retired officers were drinking, which is really funny. I'd like to I, I picture like a table of retired officers and a table of active officers, and the active officers are all drinking club soda, and the retired ones are getting uh, wasted. But anyway, so. <laughs> The two Framingham officers get on the mass pike, probably with uh, bladders that are about to burst because they've been drinking so much at Atlantic Beer Garden, and they bomb down the pike, and they get off at the exit and right where the storage facility is, and they go right down the driveway, and that's where and why they uh, urinated. Um, and of course, there was no mention of that they were chasing any suspects or doing any of that kind of thing. 
later they would claim that they had seen a, 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 a well-known Framingham ne'er-do-well, uh, some sort of sketchy fellow involved in drugs, and that they were trying to set up a surveillance position. Well, not a very good surveillance position if you both get out and start urinating and get confronted by the person who actually lives there. And of course, they drove off and forgot about this uh, suspect that they were surveilling and went straight to Han, the Han Dynasty restaurant. So um, I guess the point of all that was that alcohol was a factor. Possibly. And Possibly. also crab rangoons. Right. Now, the next thing that's interesting is that the piece of paper with the license plate, okay? Most people involved in law enforcement would understand that as something called evidence. <laughs> and yet, when the, the higher-ups went looking for that piece of paper, it didn't exist. And then they said, when they looked at the surveillance footage, they saw that there was a piece of paper and said, you know, you took that piece of paper with a license plate and, uh, and it was relevant when people found out which, who, who had that car. Um, and so they said that that's evidence and boy, I hope you didn't destroy evidence. And the guy goes to his locker, comes back and there's the piece of paper. So he had hung on to that because he's trying to help a fellow officer. And, I, and again, I, I get that, right? Like that's what you do. You circle the wagons. The problem is your job is to, does not allow you to circle the wagons. If we are to yeah, you... mission statement, right? You're not, you're like, alas, unfortunately, I'm required to Mirandize you because I think you just committed a crime. And by the way, indecent exposure uh, is a crime in Massachusetts. Yeah, especially when you piss on someone's lawn. <laughs> right. Now, what ha what turns out to have happened, and I'm not, I'm going to not use a, a lot of names, but for for th this conversation, I'm going to have to. That it turns out, and this might be relevant that there was a prior incident at that easy storage involving urination. And this is interesting and caught my attention because I'm thinking, well, uh, why would, why if those guys had to urinate, why would they go to the easy storage, right? There's right. a lot of other places where people don't live. And yeah, there's a lot like of- Like a Duncan's. Like yeah, there's plenty there's, of places. I know the area. There's plenty of the McDonald's. Right, there's the Red Roof Inn. There's yep. the Central Pool. That you know, there's all this stuff, right? There's a mall. There's the Natick yeah. Mall. Well, they're, right. There's places with actual civilized bathrooms, but then there's also <laughs> spaces behind the spaces that you, you know, if you sure. urinating in public, you could do. Um, why would they pick the easy storage? And so there was an incident from the prior September where the couple called the police and said that they caught someone urinating. And when they confronted him, the person said, I'm going to, um, something to the effect of, I'm going to uh, go home and get my gun and blow your head off. And I, I had a hard time sort of understanding what that, what that was all about. But the detective, the, excuse me, the police officer who, um, uh, uh, covered that call was it was an officer Godino and we're going to get to him in a little bit um, and so th that sort of just sat out there but then the police officer who took the piece of paper had said was he, he was asked well was there any reason for the police to be annoyed with these people such that maybe this was an act of provocation and he said well I don't know but every time we drive down their driveway they look at us kind of funny. 
<laughs> they're staring out their window. Dude, they now, were at, that is that is the they were asking for it defense. Right, and and it, right, it is their home. But if you if this storage facility has a long straight driveway, right? It's it, and I can't remember how well lit it is at night. But certainly, you're going to notice a car coming down your long. For all of you listeners yeah. that have long straight driveways, you know when a car is coming because it's unusual. And if you are going to look out your window. And, and and by the way, why are the police going down this long straight driveway, right. which is not a public way? So that's- Wouldn't anyone look suspiciously out your window if a cop car is slowly rolling by your house? Right, and I think that that was an, uh, an inadvertent admission that the police and this couple had some sort of back history that right. involved, you know, you know, uh, some form of uh, antagonist, you know, uh, whether it's antagonism or or one-upsmanship, I have no idea. But you have an incident, prior urination incident, of officers dispatched, then you have them driving down the driveway and saying they look at us kind of funny, and then this incident happened. What's interesting is that there were two more visits by the police. The next visit... <laughs> was by the very same vehicle, but this time driven by a different officer. This was about uh, uh, maybe a week and a half or two weeks later. A different officer driving in the same vehicle goes down the driveway and they claim that they took a wrong turn. They were trying to get sandwiches and they went that, I mean, you know, you would know, it's hard to mess that up, especially police officers are like cab drivers, right? You know your beat, right? You yeah. know where everything is. And they said police, and they turned around and left. So that was viewed as a uh, deliberate act. And so then it was said, okay, no more Framingham police officers going down this driveway without clearing it with the chief. Well, the problem is they said Framingham. So then a couple of weeks later, <laughs> a Boston detective goes down the same driveway, turns around uh, and, and, and leaves. And there was an investigation of that, and 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 he, you know, was was part of the lawsuit, and the judge allowed him out because he said there's no evidence that this was done deliberately or intentionally. Well, what would be that evidence besides the fact that he's there? Yeah. So there was a unless he's a moron and said he did do it intentionally. Well, I mean, again, he was he claimed he was getting pool supplies, but. You know, uh, how many times had he gone to the pool store? Uh, seems like a, a weird mistake for someone to make. But in any event, this is th this is so far now just focusing on the misconduct. Um, so now I'm going to say that there was a, a criminal trial where the uh, the officer uh, who uh, uh, allegedly pointed a gun. Uh, that's what the man said that, that he had a gun pointed at him, and the video was inconclusive. He was acquitted of criminal charges um, for uh, pointing a gun because the, the video was inconclusive. I will say, though, that the prosecutor either didn't know or didn't feel the need to bring up the fact that in addition to the standard issue hand cannon that the Framingham police officers get, which I will agree, if that had been what was pointed, you would have seen that on the video. This officer, for whatever reason, also owned uh, what is called a Saturday night special, which is a sm small size of the palm of your hand, nine millimeter. And, oh, and he hadn't registered it, which is, uh, 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 I think, a no-no. 
and he I think he just used the Steve Martin defense that he forgot. Um, so that would have been relevant, right? To did you have a small gun that's hard to see on a video camera from from yards away uh, that you pointed in your uh, uh, at somebody? That was never put into uh, even put into evidence. So the, so the criminal trial, understanding that's a harder standard of proof, uh, there was a, a, an acquittal. So then I got involved in the civil case and discovered firsthand that our civil rights laws are abysmal are, are, as, as uh, applied by the courts and, and, and probably as designed uh, are uh, uh, ineffective tools at getting to the bottom of anything. Um, uh, I would say most of the claims or all of the federal civil rights claims were, were thrown out before there ever was a trial. And I will say that that's the, the, the biggest fundamental failing of American civil rights law is that civil rights victims do not get their day in court. That is the, the number, they do not get their day in court. They might get a, a lawsuit going, uh, uh, and it, and it, uh, but they won't get very far. And the irony is, by the way, that every time a Framingham police officer sues the, 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 the city or fellow officers under civil rights law, they find out how difficult that is to win because they get their cases thrown out too. So <laughs> there's, there's sort of an a, 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 a interesting irony there. Yeah. Um, but in any event, so this, this case, uh, there was a lot of work put into it. We went through phone records. Um, we found out that people, the officers had lied. So the other guy, not the guy who allegedly pointed a gun, but, but his partner um, had been asked. Uh, they had a meeting where they, they, they had people like uh, uh, interviewed in the conference room. And they asked him, have you spoken to your fellow partner today? And he said, no. And they said, hand us your phone. And he handed the phone. He had, they had spoken like 10 times that day. Now, that's lying to a police officer, right? I think right. most of us instinctively feel that if you get caught lying to a police officer, that that's really bad for you. But it wasn't really bad for these guys. Um, and the guy who allegedly pointed a gun, but who admittedly urinated in public in front of a, pr a private citizen's residence, his big punishment was that he got reassigned to only do DEA matters. So he doesn't have to testify and they don't have to send out letters that this one of the officers involved in an arrest was untruthful because he was busy doing uh, DEA work, which, by the way, is considered a, a plum assignment. So that was my first point. And I, I, I've left out a, a lot of the painful details, but that that case ended with uh, there was a there was a jury trial on what was left, the, not uh, just on, I think, the basic assault claim and the jury saw the same video that the judge saw in the criminal case and said it's inconclusive. Uh, and so that came back as a defense uh, verdict. So um, that started my interest in a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about in the podcast, because why was it so difficult to hold anyone accountable? Right. And, and what you realize is uh, what goes on behind the scenes. So if a police officer had felt that um, that let's say his his partner had pulled a gun on a citizen and that was incorrect. Does anybody believe that that officer would report it? Right. The answer is no. Of course not. What what ended up happening in our case in the background was that anytime anybody took a position that was 
not 100% favorable to the accused officers, they got labeled as a traitor. And the amount of infighting that exploded because of this case in the ranks of the Framingham police was amazing. Now, none of it got in front of the jury because that's not relevant, right, to what actually happened on that day in April 2010. But of course, it's relevant, right? It's like, it's the classic soap opera of, you know, people pointing fingers at people. Um, and, and, uh, and some of the police officers in Framingham believe that the, the guy did have a gun. That's amazing, right? The jury never heard that, but some believe that he did have a gun. <laughs> and and uh, and there was apparently, even though this was considered um, uh, evidence that could not be revealed, one of the officers would sit in the parking lot with his laptop open and <laughs> would show, I sort of picture like the officers with folding chairs sort of in a semicircle, and they would have screenings of the security video in the parking lot. Um, there were there were discussions about how um, uh, there was a reenactment that was attempted involving a private investigator, and then they lied, or you know there was all all kinds of stuff going on. Um, the 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 other officer, the number two, um, he took a polygraph. Again, the jury doesn't didn't hear this because polygraphs are unreliable. But he bombed the polygraph worse than you could ever imagine. Um, so why do they do if polygraphs? are unreliable and they can't be admitted as evidence why do they always give them to people why did well so what's interesting is they're unreliable but the police believe that they're reliable meaning the police are taught something called the read technique and i'm not an expert on this and if you have um luke ryan or somebody else who is trained in how to deconstruct the read technique they'll do a better job than i do but the read technique is basically a belief that trained police officers are really good lie detectors mm-hmm. and they can they can ferret out the truth. And once they decide that that person's lying, they use a bunch of techniques to to coax that person into telling the truth. And uh, and, and 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 but some of the techniques verge on coercion or some form of um you know, like mental torture, but um, the classic technique is called minimization. You know, your child, you say, did you, uh, uh, I don't know, did you drink out of the orange juice container, you know, by putting your lips on it and then put it back in the fridge and the child will say no. And you say, well, we all sometimes can't find a clean glass and it wouldn't be so bad if you just did it once in a while, right? You're trying to get the child, the person to think that you're on their side. So that's a classic example. And, and the, the lie detector is that concept taken to its fullest potential, that we believe there's this physiological uh, reaction when you're lying that the right. machine can detect. Now, that like said, there is a... In, in, different th- in different indicators, right? Yeah, that, that said, there is a physiological uh, uh, reaction. And so to me, the fact that this guy who was either under massive physiological duress or was lying or some combination is sort of interesting, right? Um, And he got caught lying about the uh, not contacting his partner um, on the day of his interview. He also, I believe, got caught in a lie. The next day, there was a a phone call um, after the incident that the the two guys were eating uh, brunch together at at a diner. And the superior called and, and asked about the incident and then said, hey, did you discuss that uh, uh, conversation with your partner? 
And the, uh, the partner said no, but he was sitting right there. So they didn't, no one ever said we were sitting shoulder to shoulder uh, when that happened. So, but in, in the police world, those lies are considered small lies, right? So the big lies are lies that like regular people tell. But when the police lie, it's, and we'll get to this, it's to protect a confidential informant or um, what was what was Annie Dukin's uh, reasoning for uh, fudging tests? Because she was in a rush, right? Yes. Um, so there's always like some sort of like, oh, it's not a big deal when when the police do it. But when everyone else does it, it's career ending. It's 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 um, you know uh, it's it you you get the scarlet letter uh, affixed to you. So trying to move along here. So that was the um, the storage facility incident. Yeah. Uh, but was it what was interesting was in from my one of my takeaways from the case is that there was a lot of not doing police work uh, uh, during work hours that emerged from that case. There was a lot of people talking on the phone with each other, uh, people sitting and having breakfast together, people at the Atlantic Beer Garden together, people at a Chinese restaurant together. And I'm thinking uh, in the context of defunding the police. Uh, this I don't remember this discussion about are we getting our money's worth, right? Right. Like I know what we're paying, but are we getting that much money's worth of police work? Um, and and we'll get to a case that sort of uh, underscores that in a second. Um, but now that after the the storage incident, of course, was the Yuri Stamps incident, and that incident uh, uh, caught my attention for two reasons. One because I didn't understand, I still don't understand why a search warrant required the police to do a SWAT raid. Right. After, after Breonna Taylor, I think, you know, if you don't get it, um, you'll never get it, right? You'll never well, and get Knowing it. this guy was elderly, like, yeah. and, and I mean, there's a lot of mitigating factors, knowing how late it was. And, and, and also that. that the target of the search, I think they had already detained. Yeah. That's he right. He left yes. the house. They detained him. Yes. And 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 so I laugh when I hear Trump moaning about his the search warrant on Mar-a-Lago, because it's like, oh, honey child, you have no idea what a search warrant is. You still no. don't know. No. You still don't know. You you were upset because people rifled through Melania's closet. Imagine coming in and everything in your closet is on the floor and trampled on, and everything yeah. is broken. That's a search warrant. Okay. So, um, uh, uh, and someone ends up with a bullet in their head, like, right. <laughs> I mean, now, like there was no SWAT team here. Right. So, so, and, and, and the, the stamps case, we didn't talk about it, but the stamps case is one of the anomalies in, uh, uh, uh the, the, the civil rights failure that I've been talking about, which is that because the court said, because the, the, the officer, and I'm going to use his name only because it's going to be relevant later, but Paul Duncan, um, mm -hmm. because he kept his finger inside the trigger, he did something outside of what you're trained to do, and therefore that 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 doesn't qualify. That doesn't protect him under qualified immunity. Right. So literally, the your position of your finger can determine whether it's qualified immunity. But almost every other case, and I can go through, and we'll do this in a later episode, but we'll go through ridiculously awful cases where the police officer gets qualified immunity. But in the case of stamps, 
there was this exception because of literally the finger placement. Doesn't matter that why was Mr. Stamps on the floor? Why was a gun pointed at his head? Um, why is an officer pointing an, uh, uh, an, an M4, which is basically like an AR-15 at his head for a search warrant? Um, you know, but none of that mattered. It was where his finger was. Um, right. And, and, and of course, he, he, he pulled the trigger because he claimed he lost his balance. And, mm-hmm. and one of the sad things in many of these cases is the person who might contradict that is never alive uh, to say right. so that's that version. Or becomes, another police officer who is vested in the lie. Right. So that version becomes gospel, right? That version becomes the unchangeable truth. Um, yep. so of course, th- th- there was eventually a settlement um, in, in the Stamps case, but that happened in, um, in, in I believe, January 2011. Later yeah. in 2011, and of course, I hadn't started working on the first case yet, um, but uh, as I started working on that case, I began learning about all the citizen complaints that, that Framingham and other police departments get. And there was an issue that sort of caught my attention, which was involving this guy who um, in, in July, I think of 2011, uh, com- publicly complained about Framingham police. And so the same guy, and I guess I should, I could name him because it's a matter of public record, but Scott Brown, he was the guy who urinated and, and, and allegedly, but uh, you know, not, uh, according to a, a two different fact finders did not point a gun. Um, uh, but that that officer was he was Scott Brown. Um, he uh, uh, allegedly, according to now, uh, I guess unless there was non police officers somewhere in the station, it was according to a police officer um, had told Not- fellow officers that he's going to retaliate against that citizen who complained by giving him a ticket. And five days later, amazingly, Scott Brown gave this guy a ticket. And the person asked, okay, uh, failing, failing to turn, use your turn signal, how many failure to, to use a turn signal um, citations have you administered in the last 30 days, of which the answer was, was none. Um, but that's not fair because uh, uh, Brown um, was a narcotics officer. Um, he hadn't given a citation in three years for anything traffic related. So he, he, according to some police officer that we don't know who, said, I'm going to give this guy a ticket, and five days later gave the guy a ticket. And I, if that doesn't chill you, I don't know what will. I mean, that is uh, well beyond the pale of what should be allowable behavior. Uh, and, and again, I'm just going to say it allegedly, because I'm sure he's going to deny it, but you know, how do you explain the first and only citation in three years? Right. Um, so um, while my case is, 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 is heating up, um, there, then the, the, uh, another thing happened, which again was not publicly known, but came, became uh, revealed later, which was Operation Pocahontas. <laughs> and opera- this was a narcotics operation, uh, narcotics unit where uh, there was a, a female confidential informant who was um, being used to purchase drugs from various locations. And this, oh, this w- segues to a very 
important and maybe should be a separate issue about the use of confidential informants. And if people are unaware, and again, I'm not an expert in this area, but a confidential informant is somebody who is a direct firsthand witness of crimes and who tips off police as to those crimes and helps the police get a leg up and catch the, the, the person uh, or people doing it. Um, but their identity has to be kept secret or else they lose their value. Um, well, by their nature, very often confidential informants are themselves involved in the same crimes. And we know the most famous confidential informant that anyone can name is Whitey Bulger, right? right. Whitey Bulger was a confidential informant for other people's crimes and somehow that created a huge blind spot for his crimes. And, and, and in, in, in the case of narcotics, the confidential informants are very often involved in the exact same crime that is being investigated, blurring the line between uh, 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 why we're going after those people and not the informant. Um, and very often the informant's criminal behavior is the leverage that you get to turn them into a, a CI. That's right. the that's the 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 secret sauce. Um, so um, the 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 issue with um, uh, Operation Pocahontas was apparently there was large sums of cash being doled out to these confidential informants and not so good record keeping. <laughs> I wonder um, where and, that cash was coming from. Right. So we've talked about cash disappearing from the evidence room, or or oh yeah. And we'll we'll get to that uh, uh, maybe more, but but you know cash disappearing. But how about the is who's who is there an auditor following around the cash that is used to pay the people that you can't name in a government document because that blows their identity. So that sounds like a really uh, uh, a bad system to have these sort of off book uh, cash transactions um, and then uh, you know uh, wonder where some of that cash is going. Um, and, um, so it, it's sort, it's sort of the same thing that we've talked about, but in the other direction. Now in Operation Pocahontas, there was a, a whiff that maybe there was some sort of inappropriate relationship between the officer and the confidential informant. And this is something I've long theorized that many confident, more confidential informants are women than probably you'd think, right? And you're, when you think of an informant, you think of, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy from, uh, was it Miami Vice? There was always a guy who was like telling the officers what deal was about to go down. It was a guy, right? So we think yep. of confidential informants as men. But right. now think of them as women who know these, uh, let's say men who are involved in crime. And then imagine this weird relationship with a police officer who can both hand you bags of cash, but also give grant you some form of immunity and and then you wonder is there a relationship there you know of a right. kind including sexual, um, and so the person that was complaining about Operation Pocahontas was a member of the Framingham Police Department. So this is somebody who was uh, uh, he had uh, uh, eventually risen I think he was a lieutenant, um, and um, and he brought you know he brought his concerns I believe to the chief and the chief ignored them. Um, there were there were there was awareness of that there was missing money. Those concerns were um, uh, uh, ignored, um, and so uh, you know Operation Pocahontas show was was a, a sign 
that th this there will never be self-regulation because if you try to bring things up, they're going to be ignored. And then if you make a big point about it, they're everyone's going to turn on you. Um, and and that's when um, I think we'll get to a, a, an incident later where an officer did draw a line and 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 he paid the price for it. So now right. we're fast forwarding to 2015. And we haven't talked about, I believe, the Framingham evidence uh, uh, room um, scandal. Not yet. So Framingham had its own evidence room scandal. And if you blinked, uh, you probably missed it. But in, uh, in September or so of 2015, one of the officers that was in charge uh, or involved in the evidence room had some sort of personal crisis. And um, uh, police were summoned um, I don't know if he was suicidal. I can't remember if he parked on the railroad tracks, but they were they were concerned about his safety, and they 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 came to his vehicle, uh, and um, and and they tried to uh, uh, make sure that his gun was secured. I believe, um, and I think he was talking to his ex-wife. They were going through a divorce. They wanted to make sure she was safe. Well, in searching his car, they found a bunch of empty evidence bags. <laughs> and um and uh <clears throat> he was taking his work home with him right and all in these evidence bags all but 41 dollars was missing <laughs> with no ious though right and <laughs> an audit later determined that at least seventy three thousand in cash was missing from the evidence room at least in the, in but, that number dude is always i mean that's yeah there's a there's some decimal point fluidity um there yeah. but but the 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 officer was only ever charged with stealing 19,000 of course for which he was i believe convicted and i believe he was sentenced to 30 days and i also believe Ooh. that if a reg a regular person steals $19,000 they spend more than 30 days in prison but i don't have I'd that say data. so um, and, and let dude but like think of the ancillary shit i'm always thinking of the ancillary shit that goes along with this yeah. like that stuff affects not only like people so what what happened in the burnham case the springfield officer uh, evidence officer in springfield mass that that stole money um his his case is like the reason he got caught was someone was coming back to claim the money that should not have been taken away in the first place. Right. Because the, the person gets exonerated and then they're like, oh, hey, where's my money? Oh, shit, it's gone. <laughs> like there's an empty bag. Right, right. It's only those cases where this this is the per that this is why this kind of thing is the perfect crime. Right. Because it's... no one ever comes back looking for that envelope. Yeah. Um, and so now. Um, the concerns were serious enough that apparently on the same day, this was three or four days later, that that officer was placed on leave, they changed the locks to the evidence room. So clearly they knew there was a problem with the evidence room. What's really fascinating, and I remember this, is that I think it was a year later in... Uh, like fall of 2016, police discovered a hide a key, whatever, a, a key that used to open the evidence room that had been hidden 
sort of the way that some people put like a, a key under their doormat in case you yes. get locked out. Yep. Like, so um, there was a fake rock there. I, I don't know. They never said where it was hidden, but they found it. And then a month later, they publicly disclosed it. And they said, but, but don't worry, because we remember back in September 21st of last year, we had the foresight to change the lock. So that key has been worthless. But you would think that the time to have found that key would have been in September of 2015, when you knew stuff was missing from the evidence room. And so it's weird to me that a key um, was just sitting there and was not discovered for a year. That is um, weird. The, the other thing that's interesting about this case, because this has ties into Burnham a little bit, is that the officer was extremely close to the chief of the Framingham police at the time. They had been uh -huh. roommates and they were like brothers. That's what somebody said, that, that they, they felt like they were brothers. Right. And so now, my, my, I'm not accusing the chief of anything in particular here, but my question is, if I had somebody that I was close enough to that they were like my brother, would I have an inkling that they might be rifling through the evidence room and stealing tens of thousands <laughs> of dollars of cash? It's just yeah. a question, but it's, this is the part that's never really addressed. Yeah. Right? These are, these are, this isn't just um, uh, uh, things that happen in isolation. These are people who witness each other on a day-by-day -day basis. And I would say that if you, if you went to any employer and said, you know, hey, you're, you have money being stolen and you ask the employees who's stealing the money, I bet you, you'd have some pretty good feedback on who are the the sketchier employees, right? Yeah, or it's who's hard to it's hard to hide it. And dude, but his whole job is to count the money. Like, it of course right. starts there. You have to look at that with a discerning eye. And as a cop, you can't be friends with these people. I mean, you, friendships are going to happen no matter what. You can't stop it. But at right. the same time, like, you have to be skeptical. You're the police. Like, right. you you can't have this buddy buddy stuff. And then it just turns into a confidence scheme. Oh, he'd never do that. No well, way. Let me, let, let me point out something. So we started this discussion in 2010, and now we're meandering up to 2015. Um, in, in that time period, 2010 to 2015, Framingham had raked in more than a million and a half, probably close to $2 million in civil forfeiture. Just in the time period from that storage incident, to when they find uh, uh, the 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 uh, missing money, in those five years, oh, well over a million dollars, probably close to two million, had been seized in civil forfeiture. And from 2010 to 2019, that figure, according to um, uh, well, this says U.S. Census Bureau. I don't know what I'm reading from, but it says 3.54 um, uh, million. So that's a lot of money. That you are entrusting in little Manila envelopes, yeah, and to a guy people... who's making what a hundred grand, maybe like, yeah. and and having people that you trust with your life, uh, supposedly, or feel so close to that it's like a brother to you, trusting those people with the money, right, um, and 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 allegedly having no clue, and even when you have a a, a clue, some sort of inkling. Not so much that you look around and find, you know, oh, a, a hidden key. 
So th uh, th this is all the kind of stuff that that in in hindsight, when you start piecing this stuff together, um, is is concerning. Um, but at the time this stuff gets reported, it's like a single blip, right? So the public it does not have the consciousness um, uh, that uh, that they should. Um, now let me let me jump to um, and and I do want to say actually before I jump to the the final incident that not you know this isn't an indictment of every um, police officer uh, and and even the ones that are controversial do good things at good times. So for example, there's the story of a man, Kevin O'Laughlin, who was convicted of um, kidnap and I believe rape of a, of a young girl back in, in the 80s. And it was there was a discovery of a computer of somebody totally different um, decades later that led one of the Framingham, this, the same uh, lieutenant, that investigated my, my storage case actually figured out that somebody else committed that rape and took it upon himself to bring this to the attention of the Middlesex DA. And they, um, they reopened the case and actually found that someone else did it. That person had his conviction overturned and, uh, and then went to a trial for wrongful conviction and the jury uh, came back with a $5 million verdict, which by the way, the Commonwealth fought tooth and nail. Um, so it's not all it's not all bad apples. I wanna make that clear. Um, and I think that's a stand-up move to, to get somebody who was wrongfully convicted. I will point out though, that the wrongful conviction was by the Framingham PD. So, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, I think Mr. O'Laughlin would rather have not been falsely convicted in the first place than to have been convicted and then uh, um, after he lost the best years of his life, um, uh, uh, exonerated. Um, in any event, that brings me to the uh, the what I call Godino v. Gut Gutwill. Okay, so Gutwill was the, the the person I mentioned before. He was at one point the president of the New England narcotics enforcement uh, uh, officers association. Um, and the, the officer Godino is the same Godino who handled that call involving the, um, the uh, patron who urinated uh, at the storage facility and then said, I'm gonna get my gun and come back and blow your head off. Um, so they had a, 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 the Godino had a confidential informant in, I don't know if it was another town or somewhere who claimed that there was gonna be three people entering Framingham with a gun um, in order to do some sort of home invasion involving drugs. And that, I guess it has to involve drugs because why is narcotics uh, on this? Um, in any event, so uh, they uh, this is at some point, um, I don't know if I have the exact date. Um, I think it was in um, uh, April of 2015. And so they, the officers all get together and they huddle and they have a plan for how they're gonna um, nab these people. And, and, and the confidential informant is talking to Godino uh, like on a regular basis and actually meets with Godino and a detective before the, the, the incident and gets paid in cash with the promise that when we arrest the person, um, we'll give you more cash which I don't know if anyone is worried about the distorting effect of that uh, on our law enforcement, but in any event, um, 
the the it's like a bogo. <laughs> so they, you know, Framingham is 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 sort of simplistically laid out, right? So there's only a few ways in. So they have, I think, Gutwill's idea. He's going to be staking out the the Mass Pike uh, off ramp, and they have some officers and cruisers who are set up in 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 other places. And um, what happens is that the person, I think, the car goes in an unexpected direction. And it threw off the plan. So they ended up pulling the person over. The, the plan was to pull the person over. And th this is their word, not mine, uh, under the pretext of a traffic stop. Okay. Now, in my mind, that's a giant no-no, right? That's a, that's a, 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 a pretext. You're, you're, you're really trampling on the constitution when you pull yeah, someone over. Yeah, like you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed and, to do, pull someone over only if they deserve to be pulled over. If they right. Now something. the problem, and again, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but the problem uh, is that when you pull someone over for a traffic stop, you don't have the probable cause that you, that you might otherwise have to, for example, frisk somebody or to, uh, to do certain types of searches. Right. Now, it would be very different if you said, hey, I have a, a witness who's reliable who says you have a gun and I'm pulling you over under that suspicion, okay? Yep. That's what a search warrant is. A search warrant is somebody, we don't know who, uh, well, it's redacted, but somebody says you have contraband in your house, so we're going to search your house. Um, but because they're, the, pl the plot that they hatched was to have uh, the, 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 the car pulled over, you need to have some way to leapfrog from, you know, leaving a marked lane or whatever to I'm going to pat frisk people or whatever. Yeah. So in some, at some point, the story got garbled. And uh, the, the, so they did pull the car over. They did find a gun under the waistband of one of the women. They made an arrest. There was probably lots of high fives. And then the case kind of sat there and there nothing happened until the fall when there was a motion to suppress. And a motion to suppress is a, a vehicle by which a defense attorney will try to kick out the linchpin uh, of the, the, the uh, Commonwealth's case um, because of very often uh, some sort of um, uh, 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 impropriety in the search. So the most probably the most, I don't know if it's the most common, but I, a common motion to suppress is when the evidence was obtained in the absence of probable cause uh, or because some other uh, uh, rule was broken. And so there's, and, and the way the witnesses testified, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the first officer who testified, um, let's just say blew it, forgot the script. <laughs> and said, I knew that there was a gun because Detective Gutwill told me. And the problem is that Gutwill was staked out looking for a car coming off the Mass Pike. So he didn't see whatever you saw that caused you to pull over that car. And, and, uh, uh, and so therefore that couldn't have contributed to the reason for uh, 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 um, uh, the, 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 that you did pull the car over. And then to make matters worse, when Godino testified, he realized the problem and he said, I can't, I don't remember. And they said, did you discuss with anyone that there was a gun? And he said, I don't remember. Problem is that that wasn't true. He did have discuss the discussions, 
But to admit those discussions, he would have had to reveal that the discussions involved the confidential informant. And rule number one is you never reveal your confidential informant. Right. Um, the next little interesting thing is that the, D, the ADA on the case had switched. So while Godino claimed and probably did tell the first ADA, oh, we got this tip from a confidential informant, there, a new ADA came on. And, and even though that one probably knew, it never came up in the prep session before trial, the, the hearing or during the hearing. And, the, uh, and so therefore the, the, the false impression was that, um, that th there was no confidential informant. Uh, and, uh, and also there was this uh, uh, issue about were there discussions um, with Gutwill, which made it seem like this was Gutwill's in investigation, when in fact the plan was not to have it be Gutwill's investigation. The plan was to have it be that, that a, 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 a patrol officers saw the car uh, pulled it over for some legitimate reason. And again, they use the word pretext. That's not my word. Um, and um, and so the, the ADA said to Gutwill, when he was his turn to testify, I'm not going to call you because, and, and I think this is key. The ADA didn't say, because you will be found to be a liar. The ADA said that, um, that this would, uh, that, that the presiding judge would make a ruling that the officers involved were less than truthful. <laughs> that makes sense because you have three officers testifying and saying three different things, then someone must be lying, right? How would you know that the one who testifies third is the one lying? So it doesn't make sense that, that you would say, I can't let you testify because you would be perjuring yourself. And the reality is that the ADA in the case knew that he had a huge problem uh, because uh, he had conversations about recalling Godino to have him fix the testimony. And then they decided that that would make things worse. Now, again, I think a prosecutor has to know that, well, there's, we have perjury laws, right? So you can't commit perjury. If you knowingly testified to something that was incorrect, you need to, I think police officers more than, or as much as anyone else need to fix that, right? But their solution was to just dismiss the case. So they null pros the case. So it didn't happen. They never corrected the record. There was never a finding that that off that any of the officers involved were less than truthful, and so Gutwill was in the position where he had to decide whether he was going to complain or not. And amazingly, he chose to complain, <laughs> and, and he did so knowing. And I'm going to quote from I think something he wrote that as you you know anytime as a police officer you make a allegation against another police officer, it's difficult. The rumors and the deflection and discredit of the person making the allegations is common in a police environment, is common, and in this case, is not different. Okay, I, that's how he wrote it. Um, but that's not some that's not some defund the police uh, uh, person talking about it, the police, right? This is a police officer saying that it's difficult, it's a difficult environment, and they try to discredit you if you make an allegation against a fellow officer. So I found that this event caught my interest, A, because I recognize both names, and B, because uh, as I said in the beginning, this is, this is Rashomon. This is now an event that happened, and you're going to get uh, a, a, a series of conflicting tales. Now, the first officer who looked at this was from Internal Affairs and, and found that, that Godino had been untruthful. 
And, and, and that, I'll just say, didn't go over well. So then another officer had to get involved and come to the opposite conclusion. And the whole thing devolved into, into, uh, into nonsense. And then Gutwill brought a federal civil rights case because he felt retaliated against. And he learned that civil rights cases are very difficult. Um, but there are a couple of little things that I thought that I would just uh, uh, highlight from this case, which is um, they asked Godino, this is the defense attorney, well, why were you where you were when you pulled over this car? He's trying to get at, how'd you know that this car had a gun and was coming, right? So what were you doing? Um, and the plan was, remember, to say that it was a traffic pretext. So they can't say we were staking out the roadway, right? Um, and the answer was, we were in the area. Okay, well, when you were in the car, what were you doing? Were you just patrolling? You don't patrol, do you? And he said, I, I'm a detective. If we have stuff that's going on, we do it. So why was it that you and the detective were in the car that night? Because we work for the town of Framingham. We have a detective cruiser. We drive. <laughs> so on this, on this night, what was the purpose of being out? I couldn't tell you for sure our exact plan. I know we take detective cars and we go out and we drive around. Okay. Wow. That is the part of the defund the police debate that gets lost. Okay. We have cars that just drive around. And now I don't fully believe that because I think this is perjured testimony. Um, there was a plan, right? There were there to pull this person over under false pretext and, and find the gun and, and supposedly make us safer. But in the end of the day, they threw away that conviction so as not to reveal a confidential informant. So in the end of the day, we aren't any safer. If, yeah, if we're concerned about Toyota Priuses coming in with guns <laughs> into our towns and cities, this case uh, uh, underscores that, that, that uh, ineffective uh, uh, efforts don't actually make us safe, safer. Um, uh, and then different uh, officers admitted to the pretextual stop on motor vehicle infractions. And again, I can't emphasize enough how uh, maddening that is. Um, we all know it. Uh, and we, uh, I guess we know that places like Framingham do that. Um, we also have statistics that show that ra uh, race is, a, is a, a factor in traffic stops. And so it starts to make you wonder, you know, what are traffic stops? Right. Are, they, are they all pretexts for something? You know, it's, well, and you see it. I mean, you don't have to like you see it all the time. Like, why does some one person get pulled over against another? And, you know, I mean, sometimes someone's driving erratically and they deserve it. But other times you just see people getting pulled over and it's like, well, that was one car in the line of five cars that were going, you know, 77 miles per hour. So it's like right. th there doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason why they do things. Now, the, the interesting thing is Godino was told, said that it's a practice of the, the Framingham police to never give up a confidential informant, uh, which I believe. I believe that that's a practice. But that also means that it's okay to lie. Right. So as not to give up a confidential informant, which is, um, you know, certainly no one's going to admit that, that that's what they do, but that's what happened here. And there was very little repercussion um, uh, for that. Uh, and you would think again that there would be sort of hell to pay. Now, this case, this case spawned, as your your point, a number of interviews, a lawsuit, uh, in, uh, disciplinary actions, and and um, lawsuits about those disciplinary actions. 
And one of the things that struck me is that, that, that when, when a police officer is questioned um, as part of an investigation, they have a right to have a union representative present. And what was fascinating in this case was the two union representatives were Scott Brown, he was one of them, um, uh, he who allegedly, but in fact, did not uh, wield a gun after urinating on, in front of someone's house, um, sure. and Paul Duncan, the guy who ended Yuri Stamps' life. Those are the union representatives that are present for these uh, um, uh, 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 interrogations. Now, right. um, what what I think happened was that the the as I said before, this is I'm reading from a report. I don't. This isn't my speculation that the motor vehicle stop happened different than how it was planned. And but I, then I was struck by the. And this is by the way, who is this an interview of? This is an interview of. Um, oh, of Godino. <laughs> okay, so he wrote. He said reports were written. This reminds me a little bit of um, Casablanca. Uh, where the report was written before the guy died. Um, yeah. Reports were written based on traffic stop. We Then we met upstairs and asked Detective Gutwill how he wanted reports written. How do you want to go forward? Reports were to be based on motor vehicle infractions observed and passenger interactions. <laughs> um, and then... Um, <clears throat> And he, he stated that other reports he has written, he writes in the report that information was received through the CI. Sometimes CI information is not included. So these reports, none of them mentioned that any of this information was gleaned from a confidential informant. And so this is another maddening aspect of this, which is police reports. If you actually look carefully, and I've, I, I've in, on occasion I've looked at police reports, very often they contain, more often than they should, which should be zero, uh, they contain key details or facts which are incorrect or omit something uh, which would have been favorable to a suspect. And here there's an admission, an ex explicit admission that they get together and they strategize how the reports should be written and, and implies that the reports were all, already written. Um, and so, uh, uh, and not written based on the truth, which in this case was indisputably that this information was obtained from a confidential informant. So that starts to raise a whole host of questions. Why was this informant, unlike others, uh, sort of kept out of the, uh, out of the um, stream of communication? Uh, we don't know because a real investigation wasn't done because, you know, again, it's the police investigating themselves. Right. Um, or maybe it was done. Well, I, I, I mean, these, the documents that have been re released to the public uh, and were attached to um, uh, Gutwill's lawsuit, um, you know, that's, that's a, I think, the extent of how far it got. Now, sometimes things are known but not put in writing. Um, and incidentally, after all of this investigation, there was never any uh, uh, effort to address the false testimony given at that motion to suppress hearing. Um, <clears throat> And so I think you know this this case uh, underscore this this incident underscores the fact that you can't you know that there's a, a a key assumption is that a, a good police officer is going to prevent a bad police officer from crossing a line, right? And and, and I will say that not only 
do I, am I cynical to think that doesn't happen very often statistically, but if somebody attempts it, things aren't going to go well for them. Yep. And, and apparently their, for gut, their union gut will, job. what happened to Gutwill is after he said that the other guy lied, which is true, he, he said he would walk into a room and everybody would turn their back on him. And he got it taken out. He had also a plum DEA assignment. He lost that DEA assignment. Um, and, uh, and, and he, tr he brought a federal civil rights lawsuit and, you know, uh, found out uh, the hard way that those are not easy cases. Um, and, and in, in the end, your point about the money, I mean, extraordinary waste of time, a bungled criminal case that doesn't make us safer. Right. Um, lots of infighting in a police department, which has an abysmal level of morale, right. abysmal level of morale. And this was, it was abysmal before all of this happened. Um, you know, people complain about top heavy uh, a command structure that there are quote golden boys that can do no wrong. Yeah. And everyone else has to work hard and get nowhere. Um, uh, and uh, there are other things that came up by the way in this. And I wanted to just uh, raise some of these. Again, these are allegations, but this is um, this is what Gutwill told the FBI. Okay, and this is interesting. I always imagine when people talk to the FBI, like, does a memo get written? Uh, or yeah, is this somewhere. Or is the person just pretending to type at a typewriter? But um, uh, so uh, Gutwill told the FBI that these are all alleged. Well, I'm not going to keep repeating that word, but just so this whole thing is alleged that Godino lied under oath, that the chief helped cover it up, that members of narcotics unit put false information in their affidavits. Um, they let confidential informants buy drugs for their own use after making undercover buys for the Framingham police. They let witnesses pr pr um, participate in, witnesses participate in undercover buys. Um, they, they used an informant to create probable cause for search warrants, even after they were informed by the DEA uh, and ATF that the informant was involved in illegal activity uh, uh, and even intercepted on a wire, um, uh, 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 you know, talking about their illegal activity. Um, Framingham uh, continued to use them. Um, that Framingham detectives took, quote, mementos from crime scenes, which they did not catalog, and they hung in their office as decorations. Oh my God! Now, my point, my point is, if you're going to take a memento from a crime scene, what the fuck? You can define a memento how you want, right? <laughs> hey, there's a pile of a thousand dollars. That's a memento, right? Um, uh, take a and, selfie with it, right? Um, one uh, one officer who was studying for a law degree was apparently allowed to study while on duty. Um, another officer who's also an attorney allegedly was allowed to appear in court representing his private clients while on Framingham uh, uh, work hours. And if they get um, overtime, like... <laughs> well, there was an accusation that multiple sergeants were double dipping, um, e.g. saying they were taking the day off of work, but instead working overtime or being paid for regular duty, but also getting uh, uh, paid for working on special detail at the same time. Wow. And the chief was aware of this and allowed this to go. So those are all allegations. Uh, uh, who knows if they've ever been tested factually, but this is not what 
a, a, a skeptic of the police is saying, this is a police detective saying it about his own organization. Right. And what's amazing is that I had to dig this out of a, a, a filing, uh, a court filing. I didn't, this wasn't in the press. I didn't see this. Well, this wasn't on channel five? Right. I haven't seen FBI agents um, uh, standing up in front of microphones saying we've investigated this or, you yeah. know, or anything. So um, it, 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 what, what it tells you, I think, and uh, Framingham again uh, is is I'm just using it as the po poster child that it, the the system will will, will is designed uh, to prevent a, uh, uh, any uh, positive regulation. The system is designed to sort of keep us trapped in the position that we're in. And right. and and um, uh, the fact that that narcotics is such a large part of the frame. I mean, the big complaint in Framingham is they don't have enough patrol officers for a city that big, but they seem to have a lot of guys just driving around with no particular purpose to go. <laughs> what was your mission that night? Uh... They give me a detective car and I just drive it. Yeah, I'm driving um, my detective car. And and that's, uh, I think, the, the part that we really need to focus on, which is that if we're going to talk about the right level of policing, and if we're going to talk about the 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 uh, a just form of policing, I think we have to recognize what's actually happening and not working, right? Instead of and be truthful to ourselves about like the the people like there's people that go overboard with saying you know banish the police, we don't need the police, blah 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 blah. blah. It's like that's not a, that's not constructive, but neither is. The police do nothing saying the police do nothing wrong and we can't look into them and hold them accountable when we find that they have done things that are wrong. Right. And they have, you know, part and parcel been, you know, double dipping and doing all these things while, you know, this is all public money. There's only one, like they shouldn't be digging so deep into the till with fraudulent claims. Like they're the only ones who need public funds, you know? Well, gut will claim, I believe, that in his work in the DEA benefited Framingham um, with $300,000 of civil forfeiture money. And it was interesting that he put that in as a positive thing. So meaning he, he wants people, the citizenry to believe he's valuable because he brings money into Framingham. And so uh, now forget how much of that money ended up in uh, a fellow officer's um, center console of his car, um, or God, know, you know, God knows where the uh, at the at the dog track, but um, you you know the uh, the uh, uh, hold on a second, I just completely lost my train of thought there. Um, but uh, uh, we should be focused on what the police are actually doing not what we think in our mind's eye they're doing and saying they need more money. Yeah. According to what I've seen, Framingham police doesn't need more money. They could get away with less money, right? They need more accurate tracing of money. They need more uh, tighter regulation of how they spend the money. They need probably better supervision of how they spend their time on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so that, I, I think, and, and, and no one is going to raise that issue because if they raise that issue, they're going to end their career. So we need to figure out how to fix this from uh, either from the outside in or from the inside out. But right now, neither approach is going to work. Right. 
And, you know, I mean, honest, integrity and honesty need to need to lead the day. And it, it has to be them that does it because no one, I don't think it can be forced and you're going to pay someone and they'll be corrupted. Like everyone gets corrupted that touches this. And the, the people that need to be above the fray are the police or at least the people in positions that matter that work for the police. But you know, that is often lacking. And, you know, the police get all these benefits that you and I do not get in the peasant class. We, we don't get, um, we don't get pensions. We don't get this crazy overtime. We don't have a union that hires lawyers for us for every small little thing all on the public dime. Right. Like, it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that um, you know, I, as a lawyer, I've read decisions and, and watched cases where if, if a, if a um, fact finder, and sometimes that's the judge, makes a credibility determination against somebody, it is um, all-encompassing, meaning that that person, you know, judges will write decisions where they'll say, this person said this, but as I've already said, I find this person wholly incredible. Uh, on every point other than their name. And, and, and they'll rule against that person on every issue. And what's amazing is that if you read a, a, a case or uh, listen to trial testimony or a testimony at a motion to suppress, where it's clear that somebody's in the police is lying, that never happens. The organization as a whole doesn't lose its credibility. Um, and even that officer doesn't have this sort of uh, uh, credibility death sentence that happens to normal people. And, and, and so I agree with you that maybe emphasizing truth would be a way to go. But I think the, 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 the government already believes that they're doing that, right? right? They send out these letters if a police officer is caught being untruthful, um, but they don't fire that officer, right? Like, right. And, and, and by the way, it would probably be really difficult to fire them um, and then you have all these interviews and there's a union representative and it's a big nightmare. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? Uh, so that, so my, the, if, if the current approach is not working, uh, people need to come up uh, with a better uh, set of recipes. And I would say, if you're trying to figure out what might be worth attempting, start with reviewing Framingham. Cause if you can solve the Framingham problem, then, then maybe there's a chance, but I, otherwise I see this as uh, perpetual gridlock yep agreed all right well do, do you want to go over anything else or you want to leave it for another episode no i think i i sort of um had my fill of uh, uh of framingham I, I i didn't put all the details in but i think the big picture is worth sort of understanding um and i think we'll we'll re revisit uh, some of these issues, civil forfeiture, qualified immunity, um, uh, uh, hopefully in an upcoming episode. Yep. And in an, um, and another evidence officer that I've gotten, I, I finally got after trying for two years, got some information on Kevin Burnham that I think uh, the, the Springfield uh, police officer that is wild. Um, there, there's a lot in there that just kind of speak to what Ilias was going over it, it see it's just there seems to be patterns with all this stuff right that right. these guys you know like i mean the, anyways we'll get into it in the other episode but the, he wasn't subtle about what he was doing right right and this will be 
Will this be breaking news or are you just going to read from uh, uh, news articles? No, this is breaking news. This, right, is, so, right. this, this is stuff that has never been seen before. Right. Amazingly, uh, yes. the media has not uh, figured this out on their own. So uh, that'll be our, <laughs> our tease for, uh, for next time. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care.